Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we have 101s on three unique projects in the crypto space, unstoppable domains. The vast majority of people in this world live in a censored internet. There is a much larger problem of people not having the freedom to use the tools that they want to use for legal and ethical and positive behavior. Portis. Portis is a company that focuses on making blockchain usable to the everyday user. And super rare. So super rare is a platform for collecting and trading crypto art. And crypto art is digital art that is authenticated by the blockchain. And I'm excited to do one-on-ones on these unique projects so we can learn more about what's happening in the crypto space. I hope you're enjoying these flash 101s on these projects. I'm going to keep putting more and more out because I know that a bull is coming. I know that new people are coming into the space and I know that people want to know what projects, what people are building and how the future is being shaped. But before we get into these conversations, Crypto101podcast.com, enter your email so you can get our free new book shipped to you when it is published it's just about done in final editing so it's only a couple more weeks out so i'm excited about that crypto101podcast.com enter your email for your free book to be shipped to you just pay the shipping and we will send that out as soon as it's published and while you're there think about becoming a patron patrons help support the show every patreon out there thank you very much we've been putting out content exclusively for you if it's not videos rants commentaries of, of current events shows before they come out magazines articles and newsletters so if you're not a patreon think about becoming a patreon to crypto 101 and you can find that link at crypto101podcast.com or just search crypto 101 in patreon and finally don't forget to follow us on twitter crypto underscore underscore 101 and join the facebook community crypto 101 community don't forget to check out my boy mr aaron paul on ico 101 and remember this is not legal advice financial advice trading advice or personal advice now without further ado we're going to start with unstoppable domains and we will see you after the show brad cam co-founder of unstoppable domains welcome to crypto 101 sir Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Hey, look, man, we talked about Unstoppable Domains a couple weeks back. I thought it was a dope project. But the thing is, I didn't understand that it was a dope project until I spoke to you. And that's that. I think that's the key. So before we get into what Unstoppable Domains is doing, a 101 on, on, on your project and the importance of what you're doing, let me know about yourself, sir. Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Atlanta. I moved to San Francisco about six and a half years ago to do the to do the startup thing. Uh, I'd been starting companies since I was in college, mostly in the real estate world. Uh, then spent the past six and a half years running a uh, marketing software company. Uh, but in the background, was uh, always playing around with crypto. When I moved to San Francisco, I moved into this house uh, called that's been referred to in Bloomberg as the house that Bitcoin built. Basically, everybody in there was some sort of a Bitcoin hacker back in 2012, 2013. So I just kind of like got inundated with uh, with all things crypto pretty early on and had a hard time thinking about anything else. Right on, man. What was it about crypto? What was it about blockchain that you got that you fell in love with? Uh, I think it's the revolution. What is the revolution? What does that mean? Uh, it means that there's just too many, there's just too many old uh, rich assholes that have had their money for hundreds of years and it just just shouldn't be like that anymore. So what is the definition of a rich asshole? Because I want to be rich. What, what makes me an asshole then? 
basically that you've just been you've just been handing it down from father to son and family member to family member for hundreds of years and you've been doing things and rigging the system to make sure that you're the one that gets to keep it mostly by being a partner with whatever government happens to be in power and uh, crypto doesn't care about governments you know crypto is much more about let me launch some software let me see if people use it and it just changes the whole game and why is that important to you I think it's important to me because I think it leads to uh, it leads to a more free society. And uh, I think that if we don't go in that direction, then uh, it's going to be worse for all of us. And I understand what you're saying when you say free society because I know about your project. But before we go into your project again, I'm going to take a pit stop at unstoppable domains. First, what is a domain? Okay, so what is a domain? A domain is a system of mapping on top of IP addresses. So it was a way for humans to understand what computers can understand and be able to then uh, go and find content on the internet. So before there were domains, there were just IP addresses. And if you wanted to tell somebody, check out my website, you'd have to say, go to 32.257.928.whatever. And uh, up until you had a system of human readable names, the internet didn't really take off. I got you. So you're talking about Zencaster.com, Crypto101podcast.com. That's what we're talking about, correct? Yeah, exactly. .com was the first, and there's been there's been hundreds. But that idea, uh, which is called DNS, uh, was really about making it so humans could uh, humans could read and share names of sites of locations on the internet uh, easily with each other. Excellent. So now, what is a blockchain domain? So a blockchain domain is basically the same concept, but instead of for an IP address, it's for a wallet address. So uh, instead of having your 40-character Ethereum address, you would have your name. You would have Crypto101.zil uh, or whatever, and instead of having a long Ethereum address to share, you could just share that. Right on. And I think we have Crypto101.zil, don't we? Yeah. It's basically <laughs> a nickname for your wallet. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So when you talk about unstoppable domains, what does that mean? Uh, first, can we, if we can get a context of, the, of what that word, what that title, what that name of your company means, and then let's go into a one-on-one of what you're doing. Yeah, so the concept, uh, the concept behind unstoppable domains is that these domains, unlike traditional domains, are uncensorable. And that's why we call them unstoppable. Okay, what do you mean by that? What, what, is, what does uncensorable mean? So just like every aspect of every aspect of crypto, if you control an asset, if you control a cryptocurrency in your wallet, no one in the world is able to prevent you from transacting. So why would they want you to prevent you from transacting? And I, I guess what I'm going in, into is when I think about a domain, can I put a website onto this? Can I do uh, you know other things like we traditionally think of a, a domain? And can those also be uncensorable? Yeah, I think probably the best way to the best way to think about it is to think about it in order of kind of like how users will use it. So blockchain domains have this weird quality where they can work as payment addresses and they can also work for websites. But the first thing you're going to do uh, with your blockchain domain is going to you're going to use it for payments. So instead of sharing with me your Ethereum address or your Bitcoin address, you'll just share with me crypto101.zil. I'll type that into a wallet and I'll pay you. And you can attach all of your cryptocurrency addresses to one domain. So this is going to be a way that we're no longer going to have to worry about. You're no longer going to be posting, here's my Bitcoin address, here's my Ethereum address. You're going to have this public name for your wallet that anyone can just go into a wallet and pay you. So you won't even need to tell people, I want Bitcoin versus I want Ethereum because your name's already going to be ready to go. So that is use case number one. 
That's what we think people are going to use blockchain domains for first because it's a huge problem in payments already. Replacing cryptocurrency addresses with human readable names is just simpler and better. So that's that's step one. Step two is that they also simultaneously happen to work uh, for websites. So what, we, what you would do is you can put your website on decentralized storage instead of on like AWS like you normally would. And then you can point... AWS? Uh, Amazon Web Services, sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Amazon Web Services is the is the the place where most startups would store their uh, store their application. So instead of storing it in a place like that, in the hands of a private company that can shut you down, you would store it on decentralized storage, on like a, a peer-to-peer network. And when you do this, there's nobody to go and turn off your website. And because you control your domain, there's nobody who can take your domain away from you. And in the regular world, GoDaddy, if GoDaddy gets a court order, they come in and they take your domain away. If Unstoppable Domains was to get a court order to take away your domain, there's nothing we could do because your domain lives inside of your wallet and you control it with your private keys. Wow, you said a lot there. Okay, cool. First thing I really want to uh, ask you about is when you're when I have my Crypto 101 podcast or Crypto101.zil address and somebody sends me Ethereum, for example, will they still be able to use my domain to look at my wallet to see if my, all my transactions is still transparent and they can, with that domain, look through all of my transactions no matter what, whatever currency it is? If you want them to, yes. Uh, because those are transactions on the blockchain, so they would be very easy to associate them with your domain. So if you want to be public about your transactions and say, here's my entire history, you could. Uh, If you want to be able to make it so you can have this public name and people can't see your transactions, uh, we have a feature that will allow you to rotate your addresses so somebody wouldn't be able to do that. So it would be opt-in for you. Cool. Is that like an automated service? Like every time somebody sends to, say, crypto101.zil, and I receive a payment, then it would automatically generate a new address and associate with it? Or is that something I have to manually do? It's an automated tool. And it's exactly like you said. It's it's a it's a uh, address rotation system. It's similar to what exchanges do, actually. Although in this case, you would, uh, you would control it yourself. So there still wouldn't be a custodian. That's really dope. Awesome. Awesome. And then you said, you know, about hosting your website decentralized. That is huge very, very big and important for censorship-resistant uh, websites and companies and ideas and social media, media, news, all kinds of different things. The first thing I'm thinking is could be problematic depending on what's being hosted. How do you stop, like, if it is an unstoppable domain, like you said, and people are hosting, say, child porn or snuff videos or anything like that, what do you do then? It's bad if people do bad things and we, we don't want that to happen. The nature of the tools themselves means that they do not prevent things from happening. They don't prevent anyone from using them. But what does happen and what I think will happen is that companies and applications will identify the stuff that they don't want to show and they won't show it. So, for example, uh, we're integrating with browsers and browsers will start to develop uh, lists and information around here are bad sites sites that people don't want to see, sites that we don't want to show, sites with illegal content, uh, and they'll be able to do that at the application level. But at the protocol level, uh, there's no stopping anything. So it means that you can choose your browser, and your browser can choose what what you can see. But there's still no way to stop every single thing. Still anyone in the world could use these tools to do whatever. That's a fundamental uh, flip 
in the way that the system works. But I think this is a critical, there are definitely drawbacks to that, but I think that that's a critical piece for for freedom. There's no one person or one group of people in the world that I would want to put in charge of saying, here's what content is okay. And as a result of that, our solution is that we're all going to choose what we think is okay. And that's what we're going to show ourselves. I'm going to have to say I agree with you to an extent. First, initially, it's a great idea. Unstoppable domains. Uh, the government can't take it down. No cen- uh, censorship resistant. I can my news, my social media, what I'm talking about other like people get mad when they heard, you know, Alex Jones got t- taken off of Twitter and YouTube and things like that. That's not freedom of speech. But when you talk about things like child porn and um, snuff videos or what have you, if you're not able to take them down, if you can't have a court order to go out and say, hey, uh, this is bad. You guys can't host this. Just shut it down. And we're going to we're going to find out who these people are. If that's not a, a tool to be used then wouldn't you be creating a tool for an underground community of people that like child porn and know that there's no way to take this down? The vast majority of people in this world live in a censored internet. So Mm -hmm. there is a much larger problem on the other side of people not having the freedom to use the tools that they want to use for, for, for legal and ethical and positive behavior. So that is the much larger moral issue that I think we face as a society. Will we be able to stop every pervert and every asshole from doing bad things? No. But can we free three or four billion people from censorship around the world? I think so. And I think that's a way larger impact, especially because this other problem isn't fixed in the current system either. Right. And I just said that example with uh, Alex Jones. I think that it's wrong that he got taken down off of these social media platforms. And uh, maybe I don't even know what they did with his website. It's probably still there, InfoWars. Um, I'm not an Alex Jones fan. I want to put that out there. But I am a freedom of speech advocate. What are some liberties or freedoms that this can enable or empower around the world? Have you thought of like specific examples? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we're thinking about the tools themselves, the tools are very basic. You know, it's not going to be so one of the things that we're going to be working on towards the end of the year is uh, what's basically like a it's a decentralized website builder, you know, kind of like a Wix for your for your decentralized websites, but it's going to be very, very simple, mostly text based plus payments. So we think it's going to be, you know, media, like, you know, otherwise censored articles and content like that, because text works really well in this format. We think it's going to be anybody that's having trouble getting getting paid uh, around the world for uh, digital goods that they're creating. Those are the types of things that are really easy for this stuff. Uh, crypto influencers around the world wanting to get paid. Those are the types of people that are like ready to go, just waiting for this stuff uh, to be there for them. Um, so I think that we should see otherwise censored media as being the kind of first uses but it's pretty it's a pretty big problem i mean china the entire internet in china so anybody wanting to post uh content in mandarin that would otherwise be censored uh, should probably put it here i got it so another question i have about unstoppable domains is that you said they're decentralized and every time i have a platform on here or a protocol that says hey we're gonna shard we're gonna do this some, certain tps fast internet you know decentralized social media I ask, always ask the same question. It's like, there is no blockchain, there is no decentralized system right now that I can think of or that's working right now that is unstoppable, as you say, that can handle the volume of media that we share, just the data. Just the data alone, you know, is it would clog up any blockchain, any decentralized system, 
And it's not even talking about videos or pictures or live streaming or, or, you know, those kind of aspects that we're very accustomed to using right now with, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Is there a solution for that? Or am I just out of place to even think that, or maybe this is happening right now and I just don't know the tech. So there's, there's kind of two separate things here. Um, and I think that, and oftentimes they get a little bit mixed together. There's uh, things that are on the blockchain and then there are uh, things that are on other systems. And so for us, there's a very small number of things that are on the blockchain. Uh, the domain itself is on the blockchain. And the payments that people are doing are on the blockchain. But that's just like, you know, you paying in Bitcoin using your domain you know, works the same way as any, as any. So it's, it's basically payments plus these domains. And the domains are very small. Uh, and a domain you transfer very infrequently. So if you were to sell your domain two or three times per year, that would be a lot. So to launch an entire DNS system on the Ethereum blockchain right now, uh, or several of them, would be no problem. The network can handle it easily with capacity uh, because they don't move around a lot. If it was a high-frequency trading thing where you were selling your domain every three seconds, then it might be a problem. But that's not the behavior. So this is a great asset for blockchains. So that's the on the blockchain side. On the media side, we don't want to put your videos or your content or all that stuff on the blockchain. We don't think that that matters. We don't think that belongs on the blockchain. But it will live on a decentralized storage system. And a decentralized storage system is really just like you and me offering up our computers, our hard drives on our computers and being like, hey, I'll store a couple of videos for you if you pay me a little bit. So it's doing the same thing that Amazon is doing for companies, but in a decentralized way. But there's no limit to the scale. It's all the computers in the world, theoretically. So it's, so it's like LimeWire back in the day for your music. Exactly. And so it scales up with demand. So if somebody's like, so if a bunch of people are like, hey, I want to put these files on here and other people have stores and they'll just be like, okay, pay me a little bit. And then there's more capacity. So the capacity is more like a marketplace type thing. And so right, Got it. And so right now, the decentralized storage system that we use, that we're using IPFS, it's a little, you know, it, it's still a little clunky. It's not, but that's okay. We see this as kind of like, we're in like 1994 internet levels, you know, for blockchain stuff. So we know that your your blockchain-based website, your decentralized website is not going to work as well from a tech perspective as your regular website, but it's not supposed to. It has new features. Gotcha, gotcha. So it can be taken down and this one has payments built into it. So those are the, those are the reasons why you're going to care about it. It's not going to compete with your .com for a few years. That's going to take a while. Fair enough. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to tell the audience before we get off today, sir? Just a little bit about kind of kind of what's going on on the domain side. We have our first domain extension that we're launching, which is called .zil.zil. Uh, so right now you are able to pre-order .zil domains on the website. They're $10. Uh, we also have some premium domains that are available uh, and then we have a public auction that we're moving towards in June, where all of the top domains will be uh, auctioned off in a public eBay style auction on the blockchain. So all the bids will be on the blockchain, everything. You'll be able to uh, follow a specific domain and watch uh, watch the action. Right on. Sounds cool, dude. Where can they find Unstoppable Domains? Uh, go to unstoppabledomains.com. You can... Wait, you heard .com? <laughs> yeah, we're a doc, we're we're going to be a dot com for for a, for a while too. We'll have we'll have versions of our of our product on uh, IPFS, but you're still going to want to use it. Gotcha. On All right, cool, brother. All right, and and and, and I did I did suggest you, uh, a uh, rebrand for you, man. And I really think it should be unstoppable fucking domains. So uh, so after our first chat, we uh, we decided that that would be the that'd be the better name for the company. So uh, look out for that uh, look out for that news announcement <laughs> awesome, in the next few dude. days. All right. 
All right, Brad, man. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. And I am excited to start using my .zil. Great. Thanks a bunch. And now a word from our sponsor, Keeps. Losing hair sucks, but why don't you embrace it? Instead of doing the comb over, try Keeps. Keeps is an easy and affordable way to keep the hair that you have. These FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes and just $1 a day, you never have to worry about hair loss again. Getting started with Keeps is easy. This sign-up takes around five minutes. Just answer a couple questions and snap some photos of your hair. A licensed physician will review your information online and recommend the right treatment for you. Then, bam, ship to your door every three months. See, what Keeps does is they offer a generic version of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you probably have tried them before, but you've never probably got them for this price. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Plus, now you can get your first month free. That's a hell of a deal for listening to Crypto 101 and to keep your hair. So, this is what you do. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com crypto. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O, and get that month free of treatment. Keeps dot com slash crypto. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Now, back to the show. Mr. Scott Grolnick, Vice President of Business Development and Global Partnerships at Portis. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on Crypto 101. Uh, I couldn't sleep last night because of how excited I was to have this uh, podcast talk with you. Today, sir, what we're going to do is we're just going to we want to go down uh, the path of a 101 on Portis, figure out what this company is doing in the space. And first, before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Sure. So um, originally from Cleveland, moved around quite a bit from Israel, Arizona, back to Cleveland, New York City. I've been in New York for about the past decade and spent most of my time in the startup community, building companies, helping other companies raise capital, user acquisition, branding, investing, and found myself in love with the blockchain space. I don't know. Everyone has a unique story. I, I, I could tell you about times I lived homeless for two years building my first software company. Uh, I could tell you uh, how I hopped around across the U.S. to help find investment on zero dollars from the help of investors and board advisors. And uh, I could tell you the story of how I met Portis. And I would say that Portis is probably the most interesting company that I found in quite some time. And I'm happy that I was introduced to them from a friend of mine in Israel where we start our story together. What I really want to know, and, I, and dude, you have a lot of interesting stories there. I think we might have to bring you over to San Diego so we do a, a live in-person video of all of these different stories because I think that'll be very interesting. But the really thing I want to ask you before we get into Portis is, where are you from in Cleveland? I don't think we covered this. I'm from Cleveland. Oh, that's so funny. I'm from Beachwood. No shit. Okay, Solon. Solon. Okay. Yeah, man. We're right down the street from each other. Hop hop on uh, 271. They're there. That's so funny. I <laughs> I knew this girl growing up in Solon. I was probably, uh, I don't know, ninth grade, eighth grade. Uh, I forget how I met her, probably at Beachwood Mall. And I fell in love with her. And it was, you, you know, our winners, we get pounded with snow. Mm -hmm. So my parents wouldn't take me there because of how bad it was outside. I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'll ride my bike there. 
I was able to convince my mom to let me go, rode my bike there, which took me probably a couple hours in like horrible snow. My mom made me check in at every gas station along the way. Anyways, get there. And I, I knew when I got there, I wasn't going to ride home. No way in hell. And I remember calling my dad at the end of the night. I was hanging out with this girl in Solon to then take me home. And they were so pissed, but uh, it was worth it. Uh, I don't remember who she was, but you know, I was, young love. It was great. Man, interesting. All right, so cool, man. So Portis, what is Portis, sir? Portis is a company that focuses on making blockchain usable to the everyday user. So one of the big problems in the space is, you know, if you look at like a Vitalik, and when he built specific said technology, he wasn't building it with user experience in mind. Or for instance, if you read the white paper for Bitcoin, nowhere does it say anything about user experience. User experience was never a priority when building this technology for other very intelligent users. So Portis is coming into the market and saying, okay, we have these dApps and these dApps are all fantastic, but now we need to be able to get these dApps in the hands of a grandmother, of a mother, of a father, of an everyday user to be able to experience what a dApp is without having them figuring out how to download MetaMask, how to have these third-party providers, a plugin, to even be able to be onboarded to you know, said dApp. So Portis is a company that helps with user experience and onboarding to the Web3 world. So Portis is trying to bring the average consumer a very easy-to-use product so they can engage in blockchain and dApps and so on and so forth. That's correct. Correct. We communicate to the developers and we also communicate to the end users. In the end, we are a Web3 provider and we're also a wallet. Um, so to the developer, we have an SDK that we built that we give to the developer and we say, hey, here's our couple lines of code, put this into your system. And now what happens is me as a first time user coming to someone's dApp, all I have to do to engage with the dApp is create a username and password. What happens at that point in time is it encrypts the wallet with end-to-end -end encryption. And, and now I'm able to use the dApp without having to download a MetaMask or another third-party provider. So we're giving the user an experience that they're already used to with their email, their Instagram, their Facebook. They know how to create a username and they know how to create a password. So what's great about the whole end-to-end -end encryption is... You know, we want to keep with the ethos of the blockchain world in the sense that we don't want to be a custodian. We don't want to hold your private keys. We don't want the dApp to have your private keys. And we want you to be in total control, whether you want to take your private keys elsewhere or just save them within the Portis wallet. The end user is in total control, which all these other... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Daps, they really appreciate this because they're also, most of them are decentralized in some type of way where they don't want to be the custodians either. So we give the end user the total control to be able to engage in a very easy way without having to think about, you know, what is a private key? Um, how do I save these 12 words? You know, where should I store these 12 words? It's all done underneath the Portis wallet uh, in a very secure, safe way.
Gotcha. Gotcha. And all of their passwords and encryptions or whatever is on the blockchain. So it's not in a centralized location. Yes and no. So what happens is uh, with that end to end encryption is we then wrap those private keys in a secret and it stays in our server. And as soon as the person relogs in, it goes back to the uh, client and it decrypts on the client side. So a lot of people ask us, well, why don't you put it on like IPFS uh, to be hosted there? Well, the problem with putting it on there is we don't necessarily trust the everyday user to make a password that is secure enough. Essentially, if they put a password like 123 or hello, hello, or something very simple, that could be brute force attacked. And if it's brute force attacked, they could be hacked. So instead of relying on IPFS and um, you know the users doing secure password, we keep it encrypted on our server. Uh, but we can't hack it. We don't have access to the private keys. Uh, and it sits in a very secure place until they put their username and password in and recall it to be decrypted. Okay, so let me let me try to break this down so I understand it because I have never used Portis. And so it is a wallet app on your phone. Is it on your phone? Um, no, you can have it anywhere. Desktop, phone, anywhere. Perfect. So anywhere you have that, then you have your username and password. Uh-huh. You can transfer your cryptocurrency, Ethereum, into your Portis wallet. And then that, through that, by just saying, hey, my name is Matthew, my password is 1234, they can access all of these dApps and maybe go with uh, Super Rare and buy uh, Super Rare uh, NFT tokenized GIFs or GIFs or, or what have you, or digital art and interact with CryptoKitties and other apps like that. Is that correct? 100%, yeah. Let's look at OpenSea for an example because they have an integration with us. And when we were at ETH Denver, where you and I actually met, we were doing this really cool experience for the entire uh, conference where we power the entire Rare Swag store. So if you wanted to buy something on the Rare Swag store through Portis, you could actually buy up to $100 that day um, from fiat to crypto. So if you were a U.S. citizen, not in New York, um, you were able to buy up to $100 a day at ETH Denver. So then you would go to uh, OpenSea, which was all done through Portis, and you buy one of these NFTs that was related to one of the rare swag store uh, items, you then have this NFT in your wallet and you went to the front desk and you showed your NFT and then you were able to get this rare swag. Uh, in person, real, real material, real, you know, whether it was uh, Andreas Antonopoulos' signed book or it was a shirt or, you know, a pair of socks or the bing bag chairs. Or like, um, you, you know, the game Mytherium? Yeah. Okay. So if you went to Mytherium, all you do is log in and now you're able to play. Okay. Gotcha. So, so it's, it's a porthole that makes it very easy for the average consumer to engage with, like you said, the blockchain world and dApps that are being built on the blockchain. Correct. We help the end user and we help the dApps. So if ETH Phoenix is an exchange and um, they're really interesting because what they did was they didn't use Portis off the bat and uh, they did a study of user adoption once they ended up with uh, the Portis login. And they had a 14% increase in users in their onboarding pre and post Portis. Uh, before they had to rely on MetaMask and you know, the complications with MetaMask are pretty high. Mm-hmm. And we were really happy to hear this. And they spoke about that at ETHCC in Paris. Awesome, man. 
So with Portis, is there any other competition that's on the market right now? And how do you differentiate yourself from different competition? It seems to me that it's a very straightforward business plan. If I was going to make a company on the blockchain, it seems like, hey, you know what? I could just copy your model and just go for it because it takes an encryption. You put some dApps in there. You have a wallet and you have yourself, you have yourself an innovative product. Is there other competition and how do you differentiate yourself from them? Let's start with what competition exists. I would say the closest competitors to us are going to be something like uh, a Bitsky or Fortmatic, both who are really focusing on uh, user experience and usability. One of the big differences that really separates us from them is we're non-custodial and they are custodians. So they hold the private keys. And as you know, and as you know, Andreas Antonopoulos says, if you don't hold your private keys, you don't own the, you don't own the you know, the crypto. You don't own anything if you don't hold your private keys. And that's where we really come ahead. On top of that, we're also multi-chain. So it, very soon we'll be integrating with EOS and other blockchains. Right on, man. Hey, Scott, before we get off today, I want to say thank you very much for giving us a Portis 101. And I also want to ask you, before we go, how can people find Portis? And what else would you like them to know about Portis? People can find Portis at portis.io. That's P-O-R-T-I-S dot I-O. And or you could join the community on Telegram where you can have full access to myself and uh, some of the other admins. On Telegram, it's just Portis, P-O-R-T-I-S-H-Q. Always happy to answer any questions that you have where we try to be as community driven as possible. We try to listen to the feedback that we get so that we can make a better product for our developers so that the developers can focus on building what they want to build. No one wants to focus on building a wallet and a Web3 provider just to better their own product. Um, you know, if you have any questions, reach out to us. We're very open uh, and we love hearing from you. And if there's any way that we can help you out, we're here for you. You can reach me personally on my email, scott at portis.io. Right on, man. And listeners of Crypto 101, remember, this is full access to Scott. Full access. <laughs> oh, geez. I said it, so it's true. Yeah, it's, it's there now. Scott Grolnick, VP of Biz Development for Portis. Thank you for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Matthew, thank you so much. I had a great time. Really appreciate you. You're a good guy. And uh, thank you for all the content that you produce. Hey there, everyone. My name is Justin Fortier. I'm the head of product here at XYO Network, and we're excited to come here and talk to you about DevZilla. What is DevZilla? It's an intimate opportunity to work closely with some of the uh, brightest minds and coolest people in blockchain and IoT. Going to be able to come out here and go to workshops, attend some pretty cool one-on-ones with our developers to work on your SDKs, your APIs, your smart contracts, and really get to know how our network operates and works. We're going to be out here in beautiful, sunny San Diego from June 5th through June 7th. We're going to have some amazing speakers. We've got the world famous Nick Zabo. He's a father of the smart contract. We're also going to have our very own Ari Tro, who's pioneering dataism and dataistic networks. He's paving the way for the data revolution. We also have Medea Parlakar. She's the CEO of Casper Labs, one of the brightest and most creative projects going on out there. We'll see you in sunny San Diego. Be sure to use promo code CRYPTO101. Check it out below in the show notes. Excited to see everyone there. Be sure to grab a cocktail and come say hi to me and let's build. Jonathan Perkins, co-founder and head of product at Super Rare. Welcome to Crypto 101. Hey, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be on the podcast. Bro, I'm excited to have you here. 
we, we've chatted a little bit ago. You got me hooked on some shit. Now I'm spending way too much money on your platform, holding too many <laughs> gifts or gifs or whatever you want to call it. And I want you, <laughs> and I want you to explain all about that because it's quite interesting. Actually, I really think it's very important for people to understand what you're doing. I'm a little bit skeptical about maybe what you're selling on the site, but the actual fundamentals of it is solid. But before we get into that, man, tell me a little bit about yourself. Man. Where are you from? What's going on? How'd you get into this crypto thing? Sure. Um, I grew up in Maine and I was always a big fan of the arts, primarily music. Music was like a really big part of my upbringing, very musical family. Although my my parents are more into folk and bluegrass, and I got more into heavy rock and hip hop as a teenager. But anyway, that kind of shaped my life. I was really big into collecting tapes and CDs, records, kind of lived through the transition between musical formats, analog to digital. And uh, yeah, so I ended up moving to California in my early 20s, moved to San Francisco and, and uh, studied music production and audio engineering at San Francisco State. And so that was an interesting time. This was like like mid-late 2000s. So there was kind of two things happening. I lived during that time through the financial crisis, which is kind of like the, the tail end of my college years when I was getting ready to go, go out into the job world, uh, watch the economy collapse and you know, mismanagement of banking and, and currency. And that really kind of turned me on to Bitcoin for the first time around those years. Um, the other thing that kind of shaped my thinking was I was, as I mentioned, studying music and, you know, audio engineering, basically digital media. And the digital revolution, you know, had been in full swing for 10 years or so. And I was working, you know, I'm a musician, I was also working in recording studios and engineering and producing music and just watching the, the bottom fall out of the economy due to this, you know, sweeping change, you know, essentially caused by internet and free file sharing and this transition to, okay, now the income for bands is more around touring and less around the digital music itself. So anyway, long story short, you know, I, I found it hard to, to make a career doing that. And I got more into entrepreneurship, partly just being in San Francisco, kind of got the bug, ended up learning to code, uh, worked as a software engineer for a few years, and then moved to New York four or five years ago. And then a year ago, my co-founders and I launched SuperRare, which is a platform for collecting and trading crypto art on the blockchain. Right on, brother. So music, man, do you play anything? Uh, yeah, I'm a drummer. Oh, nice. Same. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah um, I, I, don't, I don't know if we talked about this, did we? I think we did briefly because you were holding a pair of drumsticks uh, when that's I first right, met okay. you on Skype. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, man. That's my that's yeah. my fidget spinner. My, my <laughs> yeah, same here. Stress <laughs> relief too. Absolutely, absolutely, man. That's cool. So, hey, how old are you, by the way? I just I just out of curiosity, I wonder if we went into the same music genres. For sure. Yeah, I'm 36. Okay, 39. So, yeah. Then first of all, I want to make a statement, and I don't give a shit if anybody cares or, or believes me or not. 90s is the best for hip hop. Hands down, don't care what anybody says. It it rocks. Late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands. Fuck yes, man. I I totally agree. I still definitely listen to uh, listen to some East Coast and West Coast hip hop in the nineties. I think yeah, dude. It just ah, uh, just love it, love it. Yeah. And, and anyway, anyway, we're getting so far off topic. I can talk about music <laughs> and 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 nineties nineties hip hop all day long. But dude, super cool, super rare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you got into Bitcoin after the financial crisis. So you're you're an early hodler. Were you hodling at that time, or were you just interested in the tech? I was interested in it. I first heard about Bitcoin. I think probably like 
2009 ish, 2010, and, and in the context of you know friends who were you know kind of fascinated by the Silk Road, and you, there was like this new. I think Wired had done an article about it, and I knew I knew people who were like attempting to you know like buy a little bit of something on the Silk Road. I didn't really like pay much attention to it, unfortunately, and that you know like kind of kept hearing about it for a couple of years, but didn't really research it. I think it was in the like kind of mid late 2013, you know, a couple crypto bubbles ago, really piqued my interest. And that's when I kind of like fell down the rabbit hole and uh, started buying Bitcoin. Awesome, dude. So this is the time we go into what is super rare. If we can do a brief, maybe two minutes, what is super rare? And then we're going to go into maybe more functionality and what I've been doing with it for the past couple of weeks, because I think I spent like 200 bucks buying digital art. So <laughs> 101 on super rare. All right. Sounds good. So super rare is a platform for collecting and trading crypto art. And crypto art is digital art that is authenticated by the blockchain. Let's dig into that a little bit. So the problem that that this solves, and also, you know, I think the opportunity that this new technology uh, provides is that digital files on the internet have, you know, have have become free and ubiquitous, just like communication on the internet. So the internet's kind of been a, a really good thing for artists, creative people, musicians, because it created free distribution, and you know, like you can just announce things on Twitter for free, and uh, it's you know, it it made a lot of things easier. But it actually has been a mixed blessing for a lot of types of artists and creators. And particularly what it did is remove uh, scarcity from, from some art itself, particularly digital art. And so there's the scarcity piece, but then also the ability to, to authenticate and track ownership and provenance like you can of, say, like a, you know, a Victorian statue or something like that. So by issuing art on the blockchain, it kind of solves both of those problems. There's scarcity um, because the the art is uh, linked to a token, just like you would own a Bitcoin or an Ether. You can buy and sell these tokens. So there's scarcity, making it valuable, tradable, ownable, just like all the properties of owning a, a painting or a sculpture. And it, it also has baked in uh, provenance. So, um, you know, you can say, oh, you know, Matthew from Crypto 101 was the, the first collector to own this piece that was issued by the artist. That maybe changes the story a little bit if I want to collect that piece or say like, you know, Kanye West once owned this, this piece of art or something. So, um, so what we're doing with Super Rare, we've made a platform that artists issue digital artworks as single edition digital pieces of crypto art on Ethereum that then go into this global social marketplace where they can be traded, bought, sold, auctioned. And in a way, the token is kind of like a, a like a new type of internet artifact that can be that can be bought and sold like a physical item. You know, I like that explanation and I just want to let everybody know what I'm hodling right now. It's super rare. <laughs> All right. I, I, got, I got gifted a, a, a gif, a gif. How do you pronounce it, dude? I pronounce it gif. Uh, some people pronounce it gif. It's one of those things I don't really, uh, you know, make, make a big debate about. But yeah, I, I say gif. All right, cool. So I got, I got uh, gifted a gif from at roses and so i'm the first owner of that and you can see we're actually the the chain of ownership and which is pretty cool so it was created by at roses then it was transferred to me and i recently bought and bid on a a gif actually no i'm sorry it was, it's actually digital art it's not a gif but it's really cool because it's an art created in the wake of the eu's legislation 
on what you can upload and download and copyright on the internet in digital form of either GIFs or memes or what have you. So it's actually a really cool platform because not only can you buy and you sell, you see the ownership. And I think that we do have like a very, what, what's the word? We take memes and we take GIFs and we take everything that's passed around on the internet and that we use and consume for free and then retweet or reblog or repost really for granted. And not understanding that this actually was created from somewhere. I don't know if we want to actually put a monetary value on it. But I mean, when it comes to something that is, say, millions of people that uses it or or seen it like the like the Doge dog, right? That became not, that was just a, a picture that became a coin, became a meme, became, you know, a phenomenon for the most part. And who was the original owner? It, how was that created? And, and I think that this is something that needs to be addressed in a very digital and even more and more digital world. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. The internet moves at, at light speed, but it is I, I do see it as kind of this you know, this part of human history that's that's playing out on the internet at all times from the very beginning. And it's, it's you know, often been very meme driven. And, uh, you know, the, the cycles are very fast. But now with crypto art, we have the ability to, um, like you said, trace something back to its original creator. And um, I think really importantly, uh, what we're trying to do is provide a better way for artists to, to make a living on the internet. So, Another really cool thing you can do it with smart contracts like uh, the Power Super Rare on Ethereum is in addition to artists being able to just create stuff and, and sell it to their fans, uh, there's the secondary market. So you can set it up so that artists get royalties for every time an artwork sells on the secondary market. So actually, Matthew, if I go in and buy one of your pieces for, say, $100, a percentage of that money... The majority of it, will, of it will go to you, but 3% of it will actually go back to the original artist. So if, if a piece is really popular and gets like sold and auctioned off many times, say for like the next 20 years, a small percentage of, of each of those transactions go, goes back to the original artist, which is something you absolutely could not do uh, before. Now, now, since you're, this is your wheelhouse, you know, music and music production and things like that, you know, I'm a podcaster. All my stuff is out there on the internet. Can I tokenize or NFT my podcast or music or what have you? Because that's my art. Yeah, um, you absolutely could. I do think it's a little like the, the, the concept of like uh, collectible audio is a little more challenging uh, of, of a concept. I, I think it's kind of like, or like, you know, we, we do work with musicians. I, you know, like I said, I grew up uh, collecting records and posters and tapes and CDs. And I kind of think of, along the lines more of releasing a limited edition, you know, series of like an album cover or a poster or something like that. Because when people are collecting, there's this, this history of collecting things that are a little more, more visual. I'm, there are some platforms like Tune, for example, is a project that's a little more geared towards audio and setting it up for, um, it's kind of like Spotify that channels some tokens to audio content producers. So I, I will say like, like, yes, but with the caveat that like, at least in its current state, Super Rare is, is more fi- focused around visual art because I think that like clicks in, in people's minds a little bit better when you're thinking about collecting. One thing I really want to point out to everybody is that if you download, say, the Trust Wallet or you have MetaMask on your browser, you can just use Super Rare. Just, it's honestly very simple. I'm, I'm not trying to shill it. I just really like the service. <laughs> I really like the I- idea of it. My skepticism is 
is this a solution for for like laws or legislation like the EU? I think the EU is stopping this because they want to protect copyrights. They want to make sure that, you know, memes and shit like that aren't just getting passed around willy nilly uh, without, you know, crediting the artist or whoever's creating this. Because, I mean, it is a, you know, consistent problem that is is to be had that, you know, as sooner or later, eventually people are going to be like, hey, you know what? I own that. I created that. It's a it's a phenomenon. Why am I not getting credit for this? Do you think that this is a solution? Or also, do you think people are just getting too sensitive? Are you getting are you getting too sensitive off of things digital art that actually is it really art? Should it even have value? Should you even credit back somebody that did a stupid meme or a, a gif? <laughs> uh, you know that, that that because they were trying to be funny on Twitter. Is this actually an issue? That's a great question or, or series of questions, and I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. And I'll also say that I'm uh, I don't have a legal background, so. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to the sort of myriad complexities of intellectual property laws and that sort of thing. What we're that you don't have to. I, I understand what you're saying. You don't yeah, have to. I yeah. guess. I guess basically, and uh, I don't think even if you were a lawyer or, or an IP <laughs> lawyer, you would have the answers to the to the future. But how do you feel about it? That, I, knew, I know you created this. What is your feeling about how people should be protected and what you're seeing on the internet and how the blockchain can either help it or hurt it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we, we've, you know, we've thought about this a lot. And I think that what we're trying to do is, is make a system where things are very transparent. And if you create something, put it on the blockchain, uh, you know, like, like register it, there are, you know, older systems where you can, you, you can hash stuff and, and like put it in a, in a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are even the creator. You know, like I could hash a classical painting and put it out there and say I was a creator. But what it what it does do is allow for transparency. So if you know if you're fraudulent and and doing stuff like I just described, it's pretty easy. The data is there. It's all on this public ledger. And what we're trying to do with SuperRare is make it um, a social platform, kind of like Twitter. So that rather than have a system that tries to be 100% bulletproof, like combats fraud and everything on there is squeaky clean, rather have it be open, transparent, and you can say, oh, like this, this account is clearly, you know, not the real creator. So this piece is kind of junk. It, like in a similar way to Twitter, you can go if there's like a Barack Obama account, for example, that has... 16 followers and they're you know saying these things pretending to be barack obama it's pretty easy to see that that's not the actual person <laughs> so um like that's kind of how i think about it we're, we're trying to set it up so that artists are generating works and authenticating them in this transparent social marketplace where you can you know do your own diligence on the authenticity of the people and the works in hopes that the vast majority of artworks and that transactions will be actually attributed to the original creators. And SuperRare has been live for over a year now and it's working really well so far. The second part of my question to that, and, I, and thank you for answering the first part, but the second part is, does every meme on the internet, if you're just trying to be funny or, or you know, make or poke fun at somebody or make a joke or see, make a political commentary, should all of those be monetized? I mean, you don't know which one's gonna be the next, you know, 100 million 
times passed around meme that you know it's going to be legendary <laughs> the next doge doge yeah. dog should all of those be on the blockchain and does that kind of squash the banter or the community that aspect of the internet of twitter or instagram or facebook or these social media platforms yeah i i don't think that <laughs> that every photo and meme and everything needs to be put on the blockchain and i would say the majority the vast majority of works tokenized so far on super rare even though it's a completely open platform for creators are not memes. I think that we're still seeing how this, you know, this technology, this sort of new form of media is going to play out. I still think there's going to be a place for banter and copying and, and memes being inspired by other memes and, you know, sort of breeding and transforming in the way that they do, just like on Twitter and and wherever. And so far, we've seen the, the works on Super Rare be, I guess, more thoughtful, time-intensive, uh, creations from animators and and like all, all sorts of, of um, different works. So yeah, I think that we're, we're still seeing it played out. There are a couple blockchain art platforms that are more geared towards memes and like people <laughs> have a lot of great opinions about it. I do think that memes are a really in- important modern art form that people should be paying attention to. But I, I also do think that like if you start taking it too seriously, then it just gets silly pretty fast also. <laughs> Word, man. Hey, Jonathan, hey, thank you very much for telling me uh, 101 on on Super Rare. But in a nutshell, in 15 seconds, can you just wrap up just to make sure everybody stays on track? What is Super Rare? Absolutely. So Super Rare is a social platform built on Ethereum where you can collect and trade crypto art issued themselves on chain and we have a community of artists and collectors around the world and so you can check it out at superrare.co and you go there you can join check out the activity feed see what's see what's happening on the platform and yeah that's super rare (laughs) right on brother hey jonathan thank you very much for your time and thank you for coming on crypto 101 thanks so much for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Unstoppable Domains, Portis, Super Rare, thank you for coming on the show. I want to say thank you to Simon, Harry, and Jay for editing these episodes. And I want to make sure that you don't forget to be subscribed, leave us a rating, and a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to these podcasts. It helps us stay visible, helps us spread the word, and helps us give people 101s on amazing projects. And a final thought of the day, whatever you're doing in the crypto space, make sure it's positive. We have the ability to be positive and make positive change in the future. No need to argue. No need to be divisive. Just build amazing products. Help onboard people into cryptocurrency and blockchain, hobbyists, investors, or what have you. And let's shape the future together. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.